I did not give up all of my favorite coping mechanisms to live a mediocre life. And if that's true for you, if you're living an uncomfortable kind of, mm, it's okay, but knowing, if there's a knowing inside of you that it could be better, then come closer. Because every time, and this is a response to trauma as well, we ignore our intuition, that deep knowing. We're abandoning ourselves. And again, like, so much is possible if you want to truly listen to that little whisper in the back of your head. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am pleased to welcome Amy Guerrero to the show. Amy is a life coach that works with people in recovery to have a conscious, sober lifestyle and to find deeper purpose in relationships. Welcome to the show. Hey, Damon. It's so great to see you. Good I'm to sorry see you. we missed you. each other when we were neighbors. Now we're doing it from Texas and California. Yes. Amy <laughs> is located in, uh, in Texas and she moved her... Uh, sober uh, life coaching practice there. And we were just talking about the difference between Los Angeles and Texas. And there's, there's a few, there's a few differences, right? (laughs) Just one or two, just one or two differences. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the interesting thing is because of COVID, my life doesn't feel that different other than I was in the trees of Topanga and now I'm looking at the water, like as we speak here. So um, I, I don't, I couldn't put, not until now, I couldn't yet afford the property that I really want to live at in California, but more will be revealed. I'm there, confident there of that. There you go. So Amy <laughs> is living her best sober life in Texas now. And I'm so thrilled to have you on the show because we had a great phone conversation about long-term sobriety people that are just getting into, you know, recovery and are just getting sober and about the importance of healthy relationships and about how hard that is for people and about how, how so many people either relapse or are miserable in sobriety because they can't really find healthy and happy relationships. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I know sobriety didn't come easy for you. And the whole becoming an expert at having healthy relationships took some time. You know, what was your journey like with this? Yeah. Well, my relationships were what drove me to, I had this idea that I was going to heal all my trauma before I turned 40. My original trauma is abandonment from my birth mom. So I thought if I could find my birth mom and heal that relationship, that I would be disco, like 40 and beyond would be like the best years of my life. If I could heal that original wound, I'd start to show up for men differently. I'd show up for myself differently. I'd relate to money differently. All my relationships, I was a business owner, my business would thrive if I could do that. So I set out to find her on people finders. I find her. We do the thing. It's way more tumultuous than I ever thought it would be. I thought I was ready and I leaned into alcohol. I became physically dependent on it. And that is my story. Then it was two years of really difficult times that it just really hard. 
And the whole time it was all about relationships. I knew that relationships were the key because how you relate to one thing is how you relate to everything. And I was relating to everything from the lens of I at my core am not enough because my mom abandoned me. And I really wanted to heal that. And I had done so much work in that space with talk therapy and CBT and DBT and all yoga and all these things. But what I hadn't really felt is that just deep kind of, oh, this all happened for a reason. It's no one's fault. And I can live a happy, conscious life. And like, no, yes, she left for for very good reasons. And I'm going to be okay. And that's, I think, one of the missing pieces in long-term recovery of like, how do we understand that it's not our fault, that we have nervous systems that are designed to keep us safe. And on top of that, how you relate to one thing is how you relate to everything. So if you're in scarcity around money, it's definitely affecting your sex life. If you're not having sex or experiencing pleasure, it's definitely affecting your work life, right? It's affecting how you're raising your children. So it's like our relationships mean everything to actually living our lives without substances or behaviors that no longer serve us. So my story was all about healing a relationship and then... Yeah, you know, physically dependent. <laughs> it's you know, it's interesting. Did did you find that you had a, addiction things that were happening in your life before that main event, right? Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people look back, and a, a lot of people, I think, when they first get sober too, they're like, "Well, it was that one event that caused all this," but actually, it was a series of things, and it was actually a thinking, a, a way in which you think, that really kind of leads you into addiction. And then once you physically get addicted to the substance, then it's a whole new game. Absolutely. This is a part of me since I was born, I was constipated. That was the first sign of my trauma is that in diapers, I was constipated. So enemas were a part of my childhood being held down by your father and other uncles and things like that to get enemas is not comfortable. So that trauma was just you know, again and again and again. So the the way of thinking that I'm not enough, that I can't, I'm not operating correctly was a part of me way before I found alcohol and drugs and all the many things I did to escape myself. So becoming physically dependent was what was like, oh shit, now I have to do something about it. But these behaviors and these patterns were with me since birth or maybe even in utero. And that's the work that I do now is like, you know, I work with the best people in trauma-informed care to really understand that it's not our fault. And this stuff does start in utero and it directly reflects our relationships. And here's the tricky part, y'all. We heal in relationships hmm. and we want to isolate and we want to say, I'm never going to trust anyone again. But the bottom line is, is that we rupture, we, the pain, the trauma is created in relationship and the healing, the recovery is also made in relationships. So it yeah. can feel very confusing. <laughs> yeah. You know, as your work now as a life coach and you deal a lot with relationships and you deal with trauma and how to heal that, what do you think that the biggest mistakes are that people in sobriety do with relationships? What, what are the biggest, what's the biggest mistakes that you see 
that that people do, you know, I mean, because yeah. it's so because I know a lot of people by the time that they get into recovery, they're pretty beat up. And then there's usually that period of time, it might be a year, a couple of years, where they're trying to, you know, they're getting sober, they're working out, they're living this sober life. And then eventually, even if they're confined in an institution or something, they're, eventually the release, they have to deal with people, right? And the next thing is, well, we're, I'm going to get into a, either a romantic relationship or a friendship or even a group dynamic, right? You see this in 12 steps, people having a hard time just even in a group dynamic. What do you think that the biggest mistakes that people make in yeah. sobriety with relationships are? Well, I think, you know, there's two big mistakes that people make and it's all based on their nervous system. One, they rush. They rush into every relationship with their anxious patterns, with all of their stuff. They're like, I'm sober now and I've got it all figured out. And like, let's do all these things. And so, you know, I mean, in the 12 step world, they're like, you know, don't do any major things in the first year. And, and really when I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's because the nervous system needs time to regulate and we rush into the next thing. I mean, people are having sex with each other in treatment. You know, I worked at lots of treatment centers and I was in lots of treatment centers and I was like, what are y'all doing? Right, it's a real thing. And then the second thing that people do, the most common thing is try to avoid everything. Try to continue to maybe like your family system, brush it under the rug, pretend as if it's not happening. Oh, that's too intimate and avoid conflict. And so those two patterns and behaviors are the two biggest mistakes that people make. And then they just go on and create a whole bunch of other mistakes from there. And as we're making those mistakes, it's turning back on the pathway of how do I escape this discomfort, right? And so then that's where the problems come in because then we try to escape our discomfort. Maybe we don't go back to our original drug of choice, but then we start to behave in some weird way that is hurting ourselves usually. And I'll speak for myself because I've done it and I, you know, I'm not perfect in any way. And it's also hurting others. And so we're creating more ruptures in the relationship. And so it's just like, it's hard to be transparent and vulnerable. It is risky to trust people. It's risky to trust yourself after you've behaved in the ways that you have, or I know for me, it was, I was like, Oh, I don't know. Can I be in this situation and behave differently? So those are the two, if we just broad strokes, those are the two things that people do that lead to a lot of other things. Yeah. You know, I think the, one of the things that you tapped on here is that, you know, these tools of being vulnerable, of being able to express your feelings, these, you know, not everybody has that in early sobriety. I say most people don't, they don't understand what they're feeling. So then to be able to communicate what they're feeling to other people is very, very tough and not having done the work and then trying to be able to jump into a relationship. I, I always say it's like people in recovery, people in sobriety are the worst pickers. They will pick the wrong work, you know, the wrong work environment, the wrong relationships, the wrong friends you know, ultimately, I think until you do the work, people are just bad pickers in sobriety. I mean, wouldn't you agree yeah. with that? Well, yes. And I do agree with that. I actually do lives about that all the time. Like your picker ain't broken. <laughs> it's that your nervous system is still dysregulated and your attachment wounds from your childhood are still running the show. So just because we get sober in you know, I don't want to always make it like it's so much work. This can happen very quickly. Once you understand your nervous system, once you understand like, oh, I have an anxious pattern. 
then you can start choosing differently right away. And so those people in long-term recovery that are listening as well, like, you know, we can be sober. I've worked with people with from anywhere between 15, 30 years, and they still hadn't really learned how to effectively communicate from a regulated place. And so there was still lots of lying and lots of weird behaviors going on. And oh, I'm so happy to say like one of my clients is getting married now and her, both her and her partner had been stuck and they were both sober. But like, ooh, like, oh, wow, we can bring these things to the light and feel safe. So it's not necessarily that our picker's broken forever. <laughs> it's just that like, ooh, can you learn how to do the same things that we've done our whole lives? and choose differently and feel safe to choose yes. differently. Yes. And I, I'm glad that you said that because I firmly believe that, you know, people are not broken. You know, they might have broken thinking or they might have, there, there's a disconnect or what, what you, what you call trauma, which I think is one of the biggest things. And we've talked about that on the recovered life show a lot is that trauma is probably one of the, the most significant discoveries in recovery I would say in the past 10 years, five years, the people are talking about this past trauma because I, I really think that there's, you know, a couple of different people. There's people that come in and they get sober, uh, but their life's not working and their life's not working primarily because they can't have good relationships. Either they don't have the tools and, so, and some people have models. They, they have parents or they have friends. They've had, you know, they've seen people in their life that have good relationships. They even actually have the tools, but there's this past trauma that never really allows them to get to where they need to go. And I know you work with people on that. You identify what is that trauma and, you know, how do you heal that? Absolutely. 100%. And thank you so much for presencing that. And it is, it's, it, I would say in the last five years, I've really watched it develop because I came in through that trauma lens and it was really difficult to find a treatment center that was actually not just doing the marketing that they said on their website, but actually had trained people to hold the space. And that's the whole reason I created my practice because I couldn't find it while I was there. Yeah, and so, yes, I mean, so many people are already in relationships when they choose a life of recovery and discovery. And, you know, they go back home and they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I wanna go back to treatment because this is just too hard. And it's the trauma, it's the nervous system keeping you safe and stuck, even though you're ready to move on, your body isn't. And trauma work is a bottom up approach rather than a top down approach. And the, the 12 steps and smart recovery and a lot of these different traditional forms of recovery are all top down. So when you're ready for that deeper place of like really, oh wow, I wanna embody this lifestyle that I'm choosing then that means like, ooh, we just want to figure out what's happening because it's happening in your whole family system. I help so many very, you know, amazing people who have it all on the outside and that little piece hasn't been looked at yet. And so it's affecting all of their relationships and they don't want their children to have these same feelings. And so they're there like, okay, I'm willing to do this deeper work. And Again, I just want to remind us all that it doesn't have to take that long and it doesn't have to be that hard. And the way that it isn't is just getting this presence of it's not your fault. You did not have a lot of choices when this trauma was happening in your life because you were a little kid. Yeah. You know? And you know, what, what, what do you think, Amy, 
if people are listening to this and saying, wow, this sounds like me, what Amy's talking about sounds like me. What, what are some of the signs that trauma, this past trauma might be affecting your relationships now? What do people typically see when it's not just bad relationship skills? And there, there are people who have that, right? They're just not really great friends or they don't know how to be a good friend or they don't know how to be a good boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But trauma is different. How, how, do you, how do you identify that trauma actually might be the issue? Yeah, um, trying to control everything in your relationships, whether it's at work, with your partners, with your lovers, wherever it is. Like if you find yourself so uncomfortable not being able to control the situation and then therefore kind of lying and deceiving and manipulating like that is a sign of unhealed emotional trauma. And that's like, just you, you feel that, you know, you feel it in your body and then you're off and running trying to control every little thing. That is a huge sign of trauma. I'm not being able, not having access. This, the way that people put it is like, Amy, I can't communicate. I get to the conversation and I lose, I can't think straight. That's a sign of unhealed emotional trauma. Is, and I, I, I train people to, to start taking notes, to bring a note card with you. Because when our bodies go into that fight, flight, or freeze space, we don't have access to the smarter parts of our brain. And we're stuck in our eight-year-old version of ourself or a five-year-old version of ourself. And we're just staring at the person that we love or our boss, we're asking for a raise and we're just like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. And then, you know, when we're little, we like pee on ourselves, right? And like, we're back in that place. So those are two major signs, like trying to control the inability to effectively communicate is somehow your brain is stuck in that reptilian, that older part of the brain, and the body's literally not allowing you to say the thing that you want to say. Um, Another thing is just you know, finding yourself really searching outside of your relationships for something else, something better. Um, You know, a lot of that addictive kind of patterning that's in us that like, oh, the next thing, the next thing, that's what's going to save me. That's what's going to fix me. That's another really um, great sign that like, there's something so much deeper happening here. And, you know, having a willingness to look at it, it doesn't have to take long. But having that willingness is going to improve the quality of all of your relationships. So those are three probably the most common things that I hear from people. And, you know, obviously willingness is the gateway to everything, right? Like we, we know this as being recovered people. Being willing opens the door for healing. Uh, you know, we were talking on the phone a, a couple of weeks ago and we were sharing experiences with 12-step groups and about how great they are and about how they've really changed both of our lives. But a lot of the times that when you have long-term sobriety, when you have decades of sobriety, especially when you look, when you look at some of the people that, you know, in 12 step groups, they're stuck like in this wheel, right? They're just, they're just mm. stuck there. And the relationships that they might have are, you know, everything is on fire. They're sober, but they're every, every relationship that they have has either been torched to the ground or is in the process of igniting, right? And they just, it's like a rat on a wheel and they keep going back to, okay, what's my role in it? But they, they're they just stuck. It's just this big cycle. Um, and I think all of us know people that are like that or have been that person. You know, I think everybody is that person to a certain degree. They just get stuck. Um, 
do you find that it's also that, that you can help people with longer term sobriety, not just people who come in, right? But people maybe who have 10, 20, 30 years that really are at danger because I, I find that the relationship key really is the relapse trigger for most people. Because if you've been able to maintain some sobriety, you know how to do it day to day, but it's the relationships that could potentially take you out. Absolutely. It's all day long, the relationship with everything. So I want to just, it's not only the relationship with other humans, it's the relationship with your money, with your retirement fund, with, you know, the everything, how you eat, how you rest, all of those things, that's all relationships. So 100%. And I would say that like, that's one of my zones of genius is supporting people who have 10, 20, 30 years, because Mm, it's just so fun to get in there with them and know there is a deconditioning process that we go through because it can be so strong in whatever recovery system that they've used until now, where those phrases are just repeating through their head on automatic pilot. Um, and they make sense that it's like, oh, how can I help you drop into your body to really like understand what's going on here because often they are on the edge playing on the edges of some kind of going back to the old coping mechanism. It's not always their drug of choice, but it's some weird behavior. I'm going to cheat on my partner. I'm going to move out for a while. Um, I'm about to spend all my money on some kind of weird thing. You know, I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's do this first. And people are like, oh, I'm having a midlife crisis. I need to work the steps harder. I'm like, Hmm. Maybe, but maybe we can get through this through your body and actually change for the rest of your life and have like real freedom so that you don't repeat this pattern again in your lifetime in this way. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the steps healing trauma. And I think, you know, you look back, you, you look back on the history of the 12 step program and the people who created that. And it was very genius, you know, and, and it's a, a, I call it a, a very effective uh, spiritual technology that you can go through to heal certain things. But, you know, I have found that the 12 steps does not heal all trauma. Right. No. And, and that the being able to identify and have the self-awareness to understand it's like, okay, I've done all I can do here. And that, that spiritual technology has worked really well for me and it's great and it has value, right? But now I have to seek out different things like therapy or different groups or you know, life coaches like yourself. Um, where do you find most of your clients, um, the benefit that most people have after seeing you, some of the success stories of kind of how they felt before and then how they feel after they've dealt with this trauma? Yeah, I mean, the one person that I'm thinking of now that I mentioned, earlier is literally marrying their partner that they've been together for like 10 years. I think like he has 15 or 16 years and she has 12, you know, like they, she was able to have a transformation to such depth that they were able to have a new level of trust with one another, that they were able to start actually telling each other and communicating clearly to one another on how they actually feel. And now to take this next level of commitment to that. And that's just a great story. How they felt before was stuck, you know, using food, using escape mechanisms, not communicating, constantly fighting. Things had to blow up before that they, you know, one of them was calling mercy and then trying to kind of throw the steps at the process because they were both 
in 12 step, but it wasn't working anymore. And now they're getting married. It's so cool. <laughs> so like that long-term safety of being willing to commit is something that I think is a direct freedom from trauma work. Um, I watch people completely transform their relationship with money, which I think is such an important thing and that we don't talk about enough as well, um, where they come in and they're just like, I, they're like, I'm broken. I need to invest in support. And so there's that very much like, I don't know if I can trust this. And I'm like, well, at the end of the day, you have agency over this. And if you want to come on, like, let's do this and let's figure this out. And their avoidant pattern was actually keeping them from just managing and feeling safe to manage their finance, which came from intergenerational trauma of scarcity. Yeah. Where no one, where no one in their family system ever taught them how to play with and be with and like love money and allow money to support them and love them back. And so we do deep work on that relationship and their sex life gets better. And I, you know, it's so beautiful to really witness them experience more pleasure in all areas of their life and be able to have a great relationship with the money that they're making and therefore the work that they're doing. And then another common thing is that people come in and they're flailing about, they've had five to 10 years and they're just flailing. And they're like, I don't know, this behavior is so familiar and they're lacking purpose. And they, they don't know what the hell they're doing on this earth. I'm sober. Now what, you know, like that's the whole premise of the work. And, <laughs> and so with them, like bringing them back into oh, the divinity of who they are without spiritually bypassing, because, uh, you know, 12 step work is beautiful, but top down and there's a lot of bypassing. And then when we get into the body, then they're like, holy shit, I know why I'm here. And now I can, I have the support to go execute it in the world. And so, you know, a lot of the work that I do is business coaching and we go execute it in the world. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm happy, joyous, and free for reals. And yeah, it is amazing. the execution, right? Like, cause it comes down to it. You can do the healing, but you can still be stuck because you don't execute. And a lot of it is just people know what to do. Um, and they create their own problems because they just won't do it right it's a lot of it's just doing it it's just the practice of hey i'm just gonna do this yeah and the way that i like to put that that's another trauma response that's another sign of unhealed emotional trauma the way that i like to put it is that the brain the body your spirit doesn't have the lived experience of success and so the nervous system shuts it down every time you reach that new level and so you're at this new level, you're about to have a breakthrough and people call it self-sabotage. And I'm like, actually, no, if we can just create more safety in your nervous system, then your nervous system will allow us to go to this next place to execute, to do the thing. But until it feels safe, it will not do it because it's like danger, 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 run like, or freeze because we've never been there before. So we don't have any conscious memory of, or feeling of what it looks like. And that's the beautiful thing of having a guide of some sort. It's like, we can shine the light for them and say like, no, it, it's safe to come here. I got you. I got you. I got you. That's what and I then, think is really effective with life coaching, right? Because 
you know, I, you know, I was, I'm in this men's group and we were talking and, and somebody was sharing with me that, you know, one thing that he did with relationships, it was this little tip that he was given and somebody made them accountable, made him accountable for it. And just that little tip and process, he says that has changed his life. He says like 25, 30% improvement on his quality of life with practicing just this one little tip that was given to him by, by someone, um, over and over and over for a couple of weeks. And he, you know, he was so excited because it was like one thing just totally has transformed their life, you know? And, um, that I think is the great thing about coaching that you can get that personal one-on-one -on -one attention. Amy, final thoughts here. If there are people on the fence that, you know, they're sober, they're sitting here, they're listening to this episode. They're like, you know, that sounds that sounds kind of like me, but I'm not quite sure. Like that's scary. At least I'm sober and look, it's not broke. I'm not, you know, I can pay my car payment and nothing's on fire. Should I really take the plunge to try to figure out how to have better relationships? What would be your advice? Oh gosh. You know, I mean, here's my, here's what I say to myself. I did not give up all of my favorite coping mechanisms to live a mediocre life. And if that's true for you, if you're living an uncomfortable kind of, mm, it's okay, but knowing, if there's a knowing inside of you that it could be better, then come closer. Because every time, and this is a response to trauma as well, we ignore our intuition, that deep knowing we're abandoning ourselves. And again, like so much is possible if you want to truly listen to that little whisper in the back of your head. And it doesn't have to be as scary as the loud voices of fear are telling you. It's like, if, when you listen to that, that's where pleasure and freedom really come into your conscious sober lifestyle. Now jump on, get something, some advice from you. How do they find out more about you and your work? Yeah, Thrive in Recovery with Amy. Thrive in Recovery with Amy. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> and Instagram, Facebook, and my website. That's the whole jam. And there's so many videos. So if you want to get to know me better, that's a great place to, to head on over, come closer, check it out, get curious with me. Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.